again, it's great to see you all here this morning. If you're watching online, thank you so much for joining us this morning here at Connect. Uh, we've been talking about a guy by the name of Nehemiah. Uh, he's uh, in the Old Testament, and he's pretty famous for helping to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He was a builder, and he got me thinking as I was thinking about Nehemiah, um, about building and renovating a few months ago, we signed up for the Discovery Plus channel in our house, and we have got our money's worth since then, because my wife loves watching all the different shows that are on there, Chip and Joanna and all the others, and the renovations and the fixer-uppers and, and everything, and she just kind of works her way through all those seasons, and she loves watching all those shows. But I think, if I'm right, um, one of the, the first shows of that nature uh, was a while back, you probably remember, it was Extreme Home Makeover. I feel like that was one of the very first shows where they started to, you know, focus in on a home that was being uh, renovated and changed. And the reason it was so popular, I think, as a show is because it was never just about the, the changes made to the house. It was the story of the family whose house they were fixing. And uh, often there was this, this beautiful story or a compelling story about a family situation that had changed, um, maybe a family who'd suffered loss, whatever it might be. So there was a reason that these renovations needed to take place. And oftentimes when you watch the one-hour show, there was more time spent on the story of the family than there really was on the story of the, the repairs to the house itself. And I think that's what made it such um, compelling viewing because you really got invested in that family. And I got thinking about it. Wouldn't it be a shame, wouldn't it be boring if that same show existed, but instead of talking about the family, all they talked about was the building that went on. I mean, imagine if it started out and there's Jim the carpenter and, you know, you're just watching him hang cabinets on the wall just for ages, in real time. It's just like every cabinet. Then he turns to the camera, he goes, well, I was gonna use four-inch wood screws, but I wasn't sure if they would be good, so I got five-inch wood screws. And you're like, come on. And then it cuts to Jack the plumber. Um, he's got to reroute a hot water line. He says, well, I was gonna use a brass 90-degree elbow fitting, but then I realized I'd have to use a 90-degree male reducing elbow. And I went to my truck, and I didn't have any, so I'm gonna to go to Menards. And then you go with him to Menards and watch him walk the aisles of the store, and you're like, this is so boring. Then it cuts to a scene, and uh, the porch is falling apart, and a lot of the wood's broken, and you see the host, and he asks Bob, the builder, can we fix it? And he replies, no, he says, no, we can't. It's not repairable. We're gonna have to tear the whole thing. <laughs> but that would be a terrible premise for a show, wouldn't it? If all we watched was the builder and the carpenter and the work they were doing. And we want to hear about the family. Well, with that in mind, I want you to understand the challenge I had in getting ready for this morning's message. And here's why. You see, um, if you're here for the very first time, I'm going to recap for you. So don't worry, you're not tuning in halfway through the season and you're not sure what's going on. Um, two weeks ago, we introduced you to this man by the name of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a, a Jew by descent, but he was living now in Persia, uh, working in the palace of the king. He was a cupbearer to the king. So a very significant, he was almost like the chief of staff in the king's palace. And here he is, he finds himself working in the palace and uh, he gets news that the city of his ancestors, Jerusalem, that the walls and the gates are laying in ruin. 
And rather than just respond with like, oh, well, that's a shame. I hope they get that fixed. It breaks his heart. It breaks him as a person. He starts to, to seek God because two weeks ago, we learned that Nehemiah was a man of empathy and a man of prayer. He was somebody that didn't just want to sit by and not care about what was going on. He wanted to make a difference. Then last week, it got even more exciting because Nehemiah, after praying, decided, I'm going to tell the king what's going on. I'm going to ask permission from the king of Persia to release me from his service, to go back to my home country, to go back to Jerusalem, to help rebuild the walls. This is going to go one of two ways. He's either going to grant my request, or I could actually not just lose my job, I could lose my life for insubordination. But he's been praying and asking God and he stands before the king and he takes a risk. And we talked last week about what it looks like to, to take a risk and how sometimes it can be very fearful, but God's with us. Even when we're scared, God can be with us. He took a risk and the king granted his request. He released him to go. In fact, he actually sent Nehemiah with supplies, with letters of, of um, support so that he could travel through these foreign lands um, undeterred to get there. It's been this exciting story up till now. So maybe some of you who've been here the last couple of weeks, you're here this morning, you're sat on the edge of the seat saying, man, what's gonna happen next? What is the next installment in the exciting life of Nehemiah? And then as you start to read through the rest of chapter two and all of chapter three, you get basically a long list of names of people that Nehemiah recruited to help rebuild the walls. I mean, it's like a really bad episode of Extreme Home Makeover. It's just this guy did this, and this guy did this, and then this guy did this, and it's just this list of people and what they did. Let me give you a few examples here. Chapter three, verse three through four. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakoz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezebel. They made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, the son of Banah, also made repairs. I mean, it's exciting reading, isn't it? I know a lot of you were worried about the fish gate, so I'm glad we got to hear that it was rebuilt. Verse 17, next to him, the repairs were made by the Levites under Rehum, son of Bani. Beside him, Hashabiah, ruler of the half-district half of Kabiah, carried out repairs. Next to him, the repairs were made by their fellow Levites under Binui, son of... I'm going to stop here, okay, because it just... This is literally chapter 3. If you go away after church today and read it, it's just name after name. And it's not even easy names. These are difficult names. I know that um, nowadays it's actually kind of quite cool to come up with a non-conventional name for your kids. So if you're uh, wondering where a, some, a list of good ideas might be, Nehemiah chapter 3. Check it out. We've got a baby dedication coming up in a couple of weeks. I'm hoping for a Meshezebel or a Hashabiah. I mean, that would be fun to, to pray for that family. <laughs> And I found myself reading Nehemiah chapter three thinking, man, I'm gonna have to, to speak on this. You know, we're talking about the life of Nehemiah and every week I wanna share what God's doing in Nehemiah's life and, and I'm hoping it'll be an exciting adventure and that we can learn 2,000 years later, two and a half thousand years later, how God worked in the life of Nehemiah and what that means to us today. But what on earth is there in this chapter that I can talk about? I mean, basically, this is one of those chapters in the Bible where if you've ever been one of those people who decided, I'm gonna try and read the Bible from the beginning to the end. And there are some days you're reading, it's just so inspiring and exciting, you're loving what you're reading. And then you get to a chapter like this, and you're like, oh, 
You're just skipping through because it's just all these names thinking, why is this even in here? Well, I think it's in there for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, when Nehemiah himself wrote this chapter, wrote his memoirs, wrote the book of Nehemiah, he knew that it was important for the people who would read this in his lifetime to know the work that went on. It's like the credits at the end of the movie. He wants to make sure that everyone was credited for the work they did. Not just a list of people saying, yeah, they were involved. No, I want to tell you how they were involved, what they did, how well they worked. He was, he was so in, um, invested in wanting to make sure these people got the credit for what they did that, that Nehemiah himself isn't even mentioned in this chapter. It's all about the people that, that bought into his vision who came from far and wide to help rebuild the walls and the gates. But as I read through it this week, asking God to speak to me, because I believe that even though the story of Nehemiah in and of itself is a great story of God at work in a man's life, I I just believe all the time that God wants to use these stories to speak to us today. That there is truth in the Bible that's still as relevant to us today as it was two and a half thousand years ago. There are principles of God at work in the life of Nehemiah and the people that are principles that we would want to see at work in our lives today. So I was praying, God, God, what is it that I can learn from this book as I'm reading this chapter that will help us two and a half thousand years later in Washington, Illinois in 2021? And I realized there was actually something incredibly important that we can learn from this story, especially when you consider that we are actually part of a building project ourselves. These folks were building the walls and the gates. 2,000 years later, we're part of a building project. You see, Matthew, one of the four guys who wrote about the life of Jesus, he quotes Jesus in Matthew 16, 18. Listen to what he says. He says, now I say to you, This is Jesus speaking that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So Matthew is recording the time that Jesus said, I've got this plan, this plan that's gonna go into effect after I leave you. And that is that I'm gonna build the church. And 2,000 years later, We here at Connect Church are part of that church that's been building over the last 2,000 years. This morning, we stand on the shoulders of men and women who have been part of the greatest building project ever, some who have lost their lives in an effort to build the church. So with that thought in mind, as I'm reading Nehemiah chapter 3, I'm thinking, well, These people, they came from far and wide and all sorts of backgrounds to help rebuild the walls of the city. I wonder how that translates today to us as people who have been called to build the church. Because in the same way that we are here today because of what people did before us, we have a responsibility to continue to build the church for the people in our community and for the generations that one day will still come. So with that in mind, Knowing that our vision here this morning is to connect our community to Christ. That's the vision, that's the mission of Connect Church. If you are a regular attender here at Connect Church, then then you are a part of that vision and mission. And maybe God will speak to you this morning about about your role, your opportunity to be a part of the building program, that, that building project to build this church. 
not to build city walls, but to build the church. But let's look at the folks in Nehemiah's day to learn a few lessons from them. First of all, we discover that everyone got involved. Everyone got involved. Here's what I found was fascinating. Was as I read through Nehemiah chapter three at the list of people who came from far and wide to help rebuild the walls, I was expecting to read about builders and woodworkers, but listen to some of the people who came to help. Above the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house. Verse eight, Uzziel, son of Harahiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. You've got priests, goldsmiths, perfume makers. Everyone is showing up and bringing a hammer and helping to build the walls. It's an amazing thing to see. It actually reminded me of a couple of years ago when we were renovating this building that we're in right now. We'd been meeting in the middle school. We'd purchased this building. We were excited that um, it was gonna become our permanent church home. It was probably about six or eight months of work into getting it looking how it is today. (coughs) Most of that work was done by professionals. We hired uh, a professional construction team to come in and do the work. But every now and again, there would be some work days some work days where we had the opportunity for volunteers from within Connect to show up and help. And I loved being at those work days. But I know that something happened because every time I arrived to one of those work days, I'd come walking in and and I'd see the crowd gathering who were there to help. And, And you knew that some of them, they knew exactly what they were doing. I mean, they were there, they had these impressive power tools. They're wearing these tool belts with all sorts of attachments on them. Some of them are carrying these big bags full of tools, wheeling in tool belts or tool chests, I mean. And here I come walking in. I've got like a Black & Decker cordless drill. And I mean, say cordless drill. I mean, it's basically a cordless screwdriver shaped like a drill. I probably was wearing open-toed sandals. That's, That's how I showed up to do the work that day. And I can see those, those guys and those girls who have got the proper tools, the proper equipment, looking at me thinking, oh boy. And I wonder if they felt a little bit like the workers in Nehemiah's days when the perfume makers showed up. <laughs> Stood at the wall, ready for a hard day's work, wondering who's gonna join them on the crew today. And up walked the, walked the perfume makers. They're like, oh, they're not gonna do any work. They're gonna smell lovely, but they're not gonna be much help. But everyone got involved. Whether it's a Sunday morning, a Wednesday night, sometime during the week, I'm just always so amazed and to be honest with you, humbled at how many different people get involved in the ministries here at Connect Church. You know, if it's your first Sunday here this morning, it could be tempting to come into the auditorium and, and sit and look up on the stage and think, man, those, those singers, those musicians, they were great. This is a, um, a, a good message, this guy up there speaking, and leave and think it was just this crew on the stage. But there was dozens and dozens of people, that have, some who've been here since seven o'clock this morning, who make all of this happen, from the lights to the sounds to the coffee to the kids to the check-in to every area across these people. So many people get involved to make this happen on a Sunday morning. And I saw that in the story of Nehemiah and it resonated with what I see happen here at all the people who play a part in connecting our community to Christ. And here's why this means so much to me as the the pastor of the church is not only are so many people involved, but just like in the days of Nehemiah, it was hard work. 
Rebuilding the walls, this wasn't an easy task. It was hard work. This is a picture, uh, and kind of an artist's rendition of what the city walls would have looked like once completed. I mean, that's, that's a big section of wall being built around the city of Jerusalem there and the gates. All that existed, it was just in rubble. So they had to take the rubble and rebuild into walls. Recently, some archaeologists were working in Jerusalem and they actually uncovered parts of the original wall. There's a picture of it here. And you can see that lady stood on it. This wasn't a small wall. They believe that the wall on average was about, um, where is it here in my notes, 40 feet high and 8 feet deep, 8 feet wide. So these builders, these priests, these goldsmiths, these perfume makers, they came together every day and in just 52 days, no cranes, no heavy machinery, just, just men and women and people coming together with tools, in 52 days, rebuilt the walls of the city. And in chapter 3, Nehemiah wants to make sure that people get credit for their hard work. Verse 20, next to him, Baruch, son of Zabbai, he zealously repaired another section. He says, some of these people, they replaced this gate, they worked on this wall. Some of them, they, I mean, they were like knocking it out of the park. They were zealously repairing a section of the wall. Nehemiah wants to give credit to the people who were working hard. He also calls out the people who weren't. Verse 5, the next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. I don't know if these nobles or leaders felt like they were above the work, that someone else should be doing it. We don't really know why, but for whatever reason, Nehemiah felt it was important to point out that there were some people who shirked their responsibility who didn't have the same work ethic, the same commitment to work as others. I think this is a great reminder to all of us today that the value of a good work ethic, the importance of somebody who's willing to work really hard. I actually learned a little bit about this myself this week. I, I'm gonna be honest with you, I had a great week because I had a really awesome experience on Wednesday of this week. So to take you to the experience, we've got to go back in time to last year. I was stood here on the platform, uh, and I was in one of my messages. I had a picture up on the screen of a combine harvester. I think they were doing some work on a field near where I live, and I, and I made the comment, isn't it amazing, these huge machines? I've, I've always wanted to see one of those up close. I've always wanted to, to check out one of those machines. And, and after that service about a year ago, a gentleman, a friend of mine, came up to me in the lobby, and he said, um, hey, were you serious? Would you like to see one? I was like, yeah, I'd love to see one. He says, well, I grew up on a farm and um, I still have friends in the community that I grew up on and there's a really good friend of mine that's a farmer and would you like to come up with me one time to visit him during the harvest? I was like, yeah, I'd love to. So a couple of weeks ago, he came up to me and said, Dave, it's that time. My friend's out harvesting the fields. If we can find a day that works, I can take you up there and we can, we can see him at work. We can see this, this machinery up close. So this last Wednesday, I got to go and see this in action. Look at that massive combine harvester there. Harvesting the beans. Zooming in. Let's, let's see if we can get close there and see who's driving that thing. Do we have a, there, look at that. <laughs> 
No, I'm kidding. I'm not driving. That's like a little passenger seat next to the driver. If you saw how incredibly complex this machine was, um, there's no way he would let me touch the steering wheel or the accelerator. But, uh, but I got to sit in this huge tractor. Here's a little video I took from inside of me harvesting the beans. Um, I think I said in first service, so if any of you are eating beans, you've got me to thank. And then someone told me afterwards that apparently you don't eat these beans. They're used for everything but food. So this is exactly why I shouldn't be at the wheel of one of these things. I've got no idea what's going on, but I loved it. It was just the most amazing experience. And uh, the other cool thing, not only just getting to sit inside the combine harvester and see all the things that were going on, I got to talk to the farmer, an older guy, and his son, who's a bit younger than me, um, who is planning on inheriting and, and taking over the farm from his dad here pretty soon. And he and uh, I, the son and I, we were chatting as we uh, rode in the semi together full of uh, corn off to the ethanol plant to dump it, you know, as, as you do. And uh, we're, we're driving out there and I'm talking all about him growing up on the farm and fascinating story. So he grew up on this farm and uh, he says, you know, from an early age, this, this work ethic is instilled within you. He goes, growing up on the farm, you just, you're expected to work hard. He says, my dad, we could go out late on a Friday night and we could do things, he said, but we still had to be up at six on a Saturday morning because there was work to be done on the farm. So he graduated high school, he went to college. Then he went on to get a master's and doctorate at the University of Illinois. His specialty was constitutional law. He went off to a university in Italy and became a professor there teaching constitutional law in Italy. After a few years there, he moved to London where he was teaching in this university in London. And here I am sat in this semi with him saying, so what happened? He goes, well, I just felt like I needed to move back to the farm. I'm like, how does a guy go from teaching as a doctor, as a professor in a school in London to moving back to Prophetstown, Illinois to work the farm? He said there were several reasons. He goes, but I'll tell you the truth. One of the big reasons, my kids at the time, they're about three and five years old. And as a teacher, I was, I was teaching students, some of them in their late 20s and, and very well educated and they were taking master's degrees. And, but this is all they'd ever done. Some of them had never worked a day in their life. He said, and I could see that there was this lack of this work ethic. And I decided, you know, I don't want my kids to grow up like that. I... I had instilled in me these values growing up on the farm that I want my kids to have instilled in them. So he said, I moved back to Prophetstown, Illinois, so that my kids could grow up on the farm, understanding what it looks like to work hard. I thought that was pretty cool that he was willing to move his family to make such a big decision because he understood the value and the importance of working hard. And I think as you read Nehemiah chapter three, that's what comes out verse after verse of the story of these people who were just working hard. And here I find myself now at Connect Church. We're building the church, as Jesus said, and it just never ceases to amaze me, not only how many people are involved in helping, but how hard some of them work. There are people that have been here since seven o'clock this morning preparing for this service. There are folks who serve in Connect Kids who, who will work an entire service. They won't even get to come and sit in here because they want to serve and look after your kids so that you as parents can sit in this service and enjoy the service. They'll attend one service and serve in the other, or they'll serve in one service and then attend the other. Working hard, showing up to, to greet you in the parking lot as you drive in, to shake your hand as you come in the doors. Working so hard. 
And then one last thing that jumped out to me that I thought was really cool. And it just reiterated a value that we have here at Connect Church. It's in verse 12. Shalom, son of Halohesh, ruler of a half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. And I love that that verse is in there because it reminds us there in a, um, a culture back then that this would have been unusual, but that the women had a role. Everyone was involved. Everyone had a role to play. Everyone could play a part. And the reason I'm glad that Nehemiah mentions this is because if, if I'm honest, I feel like, and I grew up going to church in England, but I've been a part of the church in America for over 20 years now. I think the church in America has, has not been great in this particular area of finding significant roles for women to serve in. I've, maybe you grew up in a church like this. Maybe uh, when you were young, you grew up in the church you grew up in. It was um, mainly men doing everything. And then if the women did have roles, opportunities to serve, it might have been in the children's area, in the nursery, maybe helping with the food uh, for events. And, and please don't misunderstand me. There are some women who love that and that that's what they really feel called to do and they're really good at it and they enjoy doing it. I'm not knocking that. But I'm saying that there are some women, I think, who may have grown up in the church who felt that God had given them different gifts, different abilities, and they weren't able to use those in that church. So here at Connect, we really try to make sure that there's opportunities for everyone to serve in wherever their gifting finds themselves. So we have men, women, young people, teenagers, People serving based on their giftings. I love having um, Whitney Clinky on staff with us. She's our, uh, in charge of our kind of our, our family ministry. She's our next gen pastor, and she's brilliant. But I love that she's part of our teaching team because that's that's a gift that she has. And I love seeing that gift in action when she comes up here and she communicates and she preaches and and always brings these great messages. We've got some wonderful men and women on staff and serving in different roles. And I want to make sure as a church we have so many different roles. Because when I read the Old Testament, the New Testament, even in, in history, Christian history, I see so many women active in these great roles changing the world. I heard a story just this week of two women who worked out in the Middle East years ago. They were nurses. They were treating members of Bedouin tribes who had um, contracted tuberculosis. Apparently out in the Middle East there, um, it was quite common that, that people could catch tuberculosis from camels. And a lot of these tribe members, the Bedouin tribes, they were around camels all the time. And, and if they contracted this, this virus, they had to go to this hospital. So they were all across the Middle East, from Saudi Arabia all the way across to Iraq. Um, this was the hospital that they came to. These two nurses, their names were Aileen Coleman and Dr. Eleanor Soltau. There's a picture of them here with a very young Franklin Graham from years ago. But I heard this story of these two, this doctor and this nurse, and how they felt God had called them, and that tuberculosis was actually part of their mission. It was part of what was equipping them to reach these, these Muslim people that were coming to this hospital who'd never heard of Jesus. Because when they contracted tuberculosis, it was a one or two month stay in this hospital. So they said for one to two months, we got to spend time with these people. We got to share with them the message of Jesus. We got to share the gospel. 
These people were accepting Jesus to be their, their Lord and Savior. We were then able to disciple them. There was actually a time where um, they said that there is now at least one believer in every Bedouin tribe in the Middle East. Because they would come here to our hospital, they would discover Jesus, and they would take him back to their tribes. Now, what's amazing about this story is this is a very Muslim area of the world. So Christianity, Jesus isn't being proclaimed much. It's also an area of the world where women are in submission. So these women are getting to be leaders in this community. God's using them to reach these people. And there were some in that part of the world that weren't happy about this. In fact, I heard on this podcast that during the uh, Gulf War, the Iraqis went and they, they actually attacked the area surrounding this hospital. And Dr. Sotal tells the story of how one day she was there and this Iraqi soldier came in and held a gun to her head and said, you need to stop what you're doing. You need to stop proclaiming this Christianity. You need to stop talking about it. You've got to stop this or I'll kill you. And she said, I just laughed. I said, well, go ahead. All you'll be doing is sending me into the arms of my Savior, Jesus, who I love. And dozens more like me will follow on and come and continue my work. She said, this guy just panicked. He didn't know what to do, so he just kind of just put his gun down and ran away. Because <laughs> these powerful women knew that God had a plan for their lives. They were more than just nurses and doctors. They were being used as missionaries to reach these unreached people groups. And I love that here at Connect, God's given us this wonderful, broad opportunity for so many areas in which people can serve, men and women alike. In all levels of leadership, in all levels of service. So here's the challenge I want to leave you with here this morning. If you read through Nehemiah chapter 3, and I would challenge you to read it this afternoon or sometime this week. It is a difficult chapter to read because it does feel like it's just one name after another. But as you look out for certain phrases, you'll be amazed at how they, they crop up so many times. And one of the phrases that comes up again and again and again as you read through Nehemiah chapter 3 is the, the phrase next to them or next to him. It says, this guy was here and he was building the wall and then next to him was this guy. And then next to him was this family, and then next to them, and next to them. And, and it creates this image in your mind of, of all these people hard at work, shoulder to shoulder, working together. And they, I just have to wonder if one of the reasons they were able to rebuild these walls is because they weren't doing it alone. There was a community working side by side. And here's the challenge I want to leave you with this week. Who are you next to right now? Right now on a Sunday morning, on a Wednesday night, we have folks who are a part of Connect Church who have said, I don't want to just come on a Sunday and, and attend only. I want to serve in some capacity. And they've stepped forward into a place of service. And in doing so, they're now next to someone else. They might be next to somebody at the coffee bar. And they might be next to somebody back in the kids area. They might be next to somebody back behind the sound desk back there where the video and the lights and the technology is. But they're working hard next to one another, not to build down broken walls of a city, but to build the church of Jesus Christ here in Washington for this community and for generations to come. So I wanna challenge you, if you've never stepped into a volunteer role at Connect, maybe today's the day. 
maybe Nehemiah chapter three that seemed like such a difficult chapter to read was actually the very chapter that God wants to use to challenge you to find a place to serve here. And we have all, I mean, our welcome team, we have options in the parking lot to be a greeter on the door or the desk and you can, you can serve just for a little bit before service and then come into service. We have more extensive opportunities that involve playing an instrument or serving in the kids' area and, and giving up a whole service so that you have to come to another service, but it means that a family can come and enjoy their service because their kids are being so well looked after. I want you to pray about this, but I want to challenge you. Sign up today. Sign up today. Fill out a card. We've got connection cards in the back of the seats. You can grab one of those. Just fill it in. Drop it off. We'll get in touch with you and tell you about all the different opportunities. You, you don't even have to know this morning what it is you're going to do. Just say, I'm willing to, to, to learn more. I'd like to learn more about how I could serve here. And we'll get in touch with you and help you figure that out. If you're watching online, I know Paul's going to post a link here in a minute that'll tell you. Uh, same thing. It's like a digital connection card that you can fill in online. You know, some of you folks watch online every single week. There are opportunities for you to serve. Paul, our online host, Eric, uh, Todd, we have some great online hosts, but we have room for other online hosts. Maybe you've been watching online so long now that you're like, well, I want to host an online service. You can, if, I want to make it as easy as possible for you this morning. You can just text, I'm interested, or you can just text the word hello to this number on the screen behind me. And someone will text you back this afternoon with a link to that digital card to share those opportunities with you. Because we're not building walls of a city, but we are building a church. And we're building an environment. We're creating a place for people to come in and experience Jesus. And we can't do it without you. We are so grateful for all of those of you who have stepped up and say, I want to serve but there's always room for more. Not just because we need you, although it always helps to have extra people, but I think you need it. <laughs> I think you'll experience something of God that's, that's over and above what you could ever get just by attending on a Sunday morning. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for all the wonderful men and women who are a part of Connect, who, who serve, who volunteer, who are a part of the team to help build the church. We're inspired as we read the book of Nehemiah because we realize that chapter three was like the credits at the end of the movie. It was a list of all the names of the people and what they did. Lord, I wish every Sunday we could have credits that roll on the screen that just give credit to all the people who served on a Sunday morning and what they did to make this service happen. We don't do that, but the reality is, Lord, that there is a record being kept, that you see this, Lord. You see the people who are given their time and their talents and their resources and their energies to serve in you. And Lord, I know that that is an investment in eternity when they do that. So Father, if there are any here this morning who have yet to make that step towards finding a place to serve, maybe this is the morning, Lord. Maybe this is how this chapter will speak to them. Inspire them, I pray, to fill out the cards, to click on the link, to send the text, do whatever it is to take that next step towards connecting here at Connect. In Jesus' name.